0: Just going to introduce today's speaker. Hi. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. That, I mean, I wasn't expecting that kind of reaction, but thank you. I wasn't expecting to do it, to be honest. So it's amazing what happens when you stand up here. Okay. We are coming to the end of the theme of portraits that we have been looking at for a long time. It's been amazing to catch a glimpse of so many characters, just a quick snapshot, see what we can learn about them, about ourselves and about our incredible God and um, it's been brilliant but Advent starts next Sunday, the first Sunday of Advent next week and so I'm going to draw the theme to a close by looking today at one last character and today's character is Jonah, Jonah, it's a short book, it's really easy to read. It's only four chapters long, so have a read of it this week sometime if you've never read it before. And if you have, read it again this week. Four chapters, won't take you long at all. It's got some great themes in there that I want to touch on today. We're going to look at running away and saying no to God. We're going to look at God being the God of second chances. We're going to look at the fact that we can't flee God's presence anywhere. We're going to look at his incredible love and mercy and the fact that he is the God of all. And it's also a really funny book as well. So enjoy reading it. It is great. I'll pray and then I'm going to set the scene. So Lord, we thank you for the book of Jonah. We thank you for what we can learn about the man, what we can learn about ourselves and what we learn about you in this. So Lord, come and speak to us today. And even if we're really familiar with the story, would you help us to learn something new today? in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Jonah, just like Jesus, was a guy from Galilee, but he um, was there about 750 years before Jesus, 750 BC. And at that time, the Assyrian Empire, the Assyrians were a huge threat to the peace and the safety of Israel. They were just up there to the northeast of Israel. And these guys were grim. There's a lot written about them. It's quite difficult to To describe here on a Sunday the kinds of things they got up to, the way they tortured people, the way they decided to execute people, the way they gloated over people who were halfway through being executed. There's loads written and it is grim. These people were depraved. It was hideous. And um, I remember watching once, and I couldn't bear watching it again, The Passion of the Christ and the joy of the people who were whipping Jesus got out of it. They were a bit like the Assyrians, I reckon, when I was preparing this. They were the kind of people I thought these Assyrians were like. So they're a dangerous enemy to have on your borders. And its capital city, Nineveh, 50 years later would be recorded to be the largest city in the world at the time. So if, even then, it would have been a massive city, one of the biggest cities in the world, world, full of these Assyrians who lined the street with the bodies of the people that they had conquered. This was a very massive threat to have with you. A terrifying nation on your doorstep. Okay, So that sort of sets the scene for the beginning of this. And then we get the beginning of the book of Jonah. And it says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh, that one I just mentioned, and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, to people listening to this at the time, this will be a very familiar start to a prophetic book. The word of the Lord came to. That's used loads of times. I had a quick flick through and I saw that it was used by Zechariah, by Ezekiel, by Jeremiah, by Daniel. Various people, they used this phrase. The word of the Lord came to me and this happened. So people are used to hearing this phrase. This is going to be a really critical thing that is just being revealed. And the message is, go to that city, the biggest city in the world full of scary people, and preach against it because of its wickedness that's a difficult thing to do hey big city awful people torturers of enemies you want me to go there what does jonah say god says go oh this was strange when i was writing this there's a few rhymes but hopefully it wasn't deliberate but they i help you remember god says go jonah says no there we go that's easy isn't it okay so let's have a look but Jonah, and this is the only prophet who does this, I can tell you when he says, The word of the Lord came to me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and ta- sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Brilliant. That's so reassuring for us when God gives us a nudge. He says, I want you to do this for me. And we say, No, don't worry. We didn't run as far as Jonah did. <laughs> so, this is how far he ran. It's very amusing. So, Joppa's over there. Joppa is A. He's been sent to Nineveh in the northeast, up there. Still a long old check, 500 miles or so. But he gets a boat to Tarshish, probably in Spain. <laughs> but it was, that, that at the time was the ends of the earth. So he's like, where is the furthest place on the planet I can get to in the other direction to what God has asked me to do? I'm heading for Tarshish. I find that very funny. God says go. Jonah says no. And he really means no. Um, It cracks me up. He goes to the ends of the world. So have you ever run away from a situation or a circumstance? I know I have many times in life. And... um, Actually, today we want to be looking at more running away from a situation where God is prompting us to be in. So I don't want you to hear that we should never run away from situations and circumstances. And in fact, I want to add this, that there are times when that is exactly what we should do. We saw earlier with Legg up there saying that we um, are a beacon church here standing against domestic abuse in all its forms, for example. It is not right to stick around and stay around if your safety or your family's safety is up for grabs. Sometimes it is right for us to flee from situations. That's okay. But today we are looking at someone who's running away from a circumstance that God has ordained for them to get involved in. Running away from God's prompting. Have you ever done that? See, I have so many times. I just put down a list of the times that I've done it. Uh, Not not all itemised fully, but just big genres of when I do it. He's asked me to go there. He's asked me to stand up for somebody here. To interrupt some gossip over there. To get involved here. To give generously over there. To step out in faith here. To pray for somebody there. To encourage someone here. To show some hospitality there. To listen to somebody without interrupting over here. To demonstrate the love of Jesus over there. The list goes on of times in my life, and I'm sure all of those apply to you, when God is giving you a little nudge, I want you to go and do something. And I try to live my life with a yes for Jesus in the big and the small things, and he loves it when we all do that. And that, I suppose, is why I'm standing here today. But it's interesting to look in the story of Jonah and to see what happens when we say no and when we do our own or the opposite thing. So we go back to Jonah, God says go, he says no, he gets on the boat to the end of the world, a huge storm then comes up and starts to overwhelm the boat. Jonah lets the sailors know that he's running away from God. That conversation happens. (laughs) They're like, what's going on here? And then they say this, the sea was getting, they don't say this, it says this, the sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea," he replied. "Then it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Whoa. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, don't let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. And they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows for him. God would be glorified in every situation. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, some people think that this story is fully a parable. Some people think it's fully history. I don't really fully care. It can can be either, because what we can learn about God ourselves and and the man himself, it's fine with me, whichever way you look at it. I believe, I've got no problem with believing that a fish can swallow somebody for three days and then spew them out on the land. I believe in a resurrected saviour. I believe in Lazarus walking out of a tomb. I, I, I I believe in loads of crazy things. So a fish, no problem. Our God is a God of miracles. It kind of comes with the territory that we believe in crazy miracle things. So that's fine. Anyway, so this fish comes and it swallows Jonah and holds him. It's interesting, I think, that in the middle of that, we just read, pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm. It's all my fault. Kill me. And the storm will subside, says Jonah. I find that interesting because it says to me that Jonah thought for him, his life was over, his journey was done. His decision to say no to God and to run away was actually the end of his relationship with God. That his disobedience in that moment would separate him from the love of God moving forward. I'm reminded of the parable of the the prodigal son where the young son comes to his senses and he's coming home and he's rehearsing his lines isn't he i've said father i've sinned against heaven and against you i'm no longer worthy to be called your son and the father's like, i don't need to hear that the father is watching and waiting and longing for reunion and restoration jonah thinks that this act of disobedience and this running away has finished the journey for him with god you see jonah wasn't thinking about big fish rescue He didn't didn't know that that was coming when he was thrown into the sea. But God was thinking about that. God was thinking about rescuing him. I just want to insert here Psalm 139. There is nowhere that we can go where we are not with him. There is nowhere that we can flee his presence. And I just felt that today in preparing this that someone needs to hear these words from Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, or even if I run to get there, you are there. Even there, your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. As I was thinking about running away from God, and not ever being able to flee his presence. It made me realise that if you have a, the wrong view of God, that could be terrifying. That whatever I do, wherever I go, he's there. It's like, ah, I can't escape. The, you know, this crazy, mad, you know, angry God is chasing me down. I'll never be able to escape him. But if you know how God is like the dad in the prodigal son, that wherever we go, whatever we do, he's there with open arms. It completely rewrites the story. Know that today, that he is there for you wherever you are, wherever you find yourself. The moment Jonah was thrown overboard, God rescued him. How about you today? Are you feeling distant? Are you here in church today begrudgingly because someone dragged you and you said you'd come? Are you at home just about to switch off? I've got about 10 seconds left of your time. Don't switch off just yet. Know this, wherever you go, he is with you. However dark it may seem, you are not alone. You are loved and you are held. The huge fish came. It swallowed him and ultimately spat him out three days later and a prayer later. So the three days in the prayer, that's chapter two. That's what happens in chapter two. And so we're going to go to chapter three. Here we go. We're halfway through the book. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Very familiar. In fact, it's the same again as what happened um, in the start of chapter one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah just as it did before, and this time he's being told to go exactly to the same place. And what happens this time? Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. First time, God says go, he says no. Second second time, God says go, he's like okay, okay, God, I've learned something here. I'm going to go, and I love it because. Jonah thought that it was all over when he was thrown overboard, but God didn't because God is all about second chances. God is more than willing to move past Jonah's and our no and give us a second go. So don't disqualify yourselves when you've said no because God will give you another chance to put it right. This is important to me because there have been so many times when God has prompted and nudged me and I flat out refused and there are many people who think because of their past failures because of of how they've behaved you know in previous situations that somehow they are disqualified from being acceptable to god being usable by god being able to be clay in his hands that he can mold because we're just too we've made too many mistakes and Once we're thrown overboard, that's that. Our life is done. No, God's like, I'm rescuing you. I'll put you back. I'll set you up again. Why don't you go here? And then you're like, yes, okay, I'll do it. He is the God of the second chance. So maybe you've messed up. Maybe it was deliberate. God asked you to do something. You're like, no way, God, on your bike. I'm not doing it. Maybe you've messed up accidentally. It wasn't through like ticket to Tarshish buying disobedience, but it was just an accident. There's a phrase I've never thought I'd say but it was, I probably couldn't say it again. I love the word Tarshish, by the way, because it sounds so Narnian. I think it sounds like it should be in a Narnia book. Um, Anyway, if you've accidentally done it, you're still not disqualified. God is for you and not against you. He loves you. you. Come back to him. He wants to give you your second, third, thousandth chance today. Are you prepared to give yourself a second chance, a third, fifth, tenth, thousandth chance? because he is much more gracious and merciful to us than we are with us think of Peter walking journeying with Jesus for those years saying to Jesus I would never disown you I'm with you till the end and Jesus looks him in the eye Peter before the end of the day you're going to deny you even know me three times I'll never do that I'll never do that and he does it huge denial denial he goes outside, he weeps, Jesus is executed. But when Jesus is resurrected, one of the first things on his agenda is to get to Peter and to reinstate him and to give him an opportunity to go again. And to, It's an incredible, incredible story. You are not disqualified through the mistakes, and whether they're deliberate or accidental, that you have made. His arms are still open wide. Okay, back to chapter 3. So, um, Jonah goes to Nineveh now this it 's an easy sentence to write, but this is so brave. Nineveh is massive. It takes three days to walk from one side of it to the other. so this is a very big thing and for the first day, he walks you know, a third of the way across, and he 's got this message in forty days, Nineveh will be overthrown <laughs> that 's a brilliant message That's a brilliant message to give to people where Others are probably impaled on stakes as you're walking past. The, you're probably thinking, if you're Jonah, I don't think I'm getting out, but at least I'm being obedient. <laughs> um, you know, this is a, he was very, very brave to go and do that. And what happened? Did they grab him, kill him, and that was the end of the story? No. The people, oh, here's another rhyme, the people repented and God relented. <laughs> da, 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 beautiful. Thank you. We need to make this into a Jonah song. Uh, This could be a good kid's church song. I should write it. Um, So the people repented and God relented. So he comes in with this message. In 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. And Holy Spirit was at work, obviously. Because why on earth would they then suddenly say, oh, then we must pray and fast and repent of all of our ways. Don't even give water or food to our animals. We are so desperate that God would show us mercy. But that is what happened they fasted, they prayed, they turned from their way. Oh, and, jo- and God, oh, I'm not doing any more, that's the last one. And God, it just kept happening. I kept looking and thinking, oh, it's freaky, it all rhymes. And, then, and God didn't bring about the destruction that he had threatened. Okay, that was chapter three. The people relented, uh, repented and God relented. And then we get to the funny part of the beginning of chapter four. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That, that Sorry, that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing from Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live with this nonsense. The last bit's mine, by the way. But, yeah. <laughs> amazing i find that really interesting that because here in chapter four we get the explanation of the boat trip in chapter one and until you get to chapter four you could think that he caught a boat and ran away because he was scared of the ninevites because he was scared of this terrible assyrian empire but he didn't that isn't why he got the boat he wasn't scared at all he didn't want god to let them off That's that's the bottom line here. He did not want God to give them a chance to get off what was coming to them. There's one thing he thought they don't deserve, and that is mercy. God, don't send me to those people. Don't get me in there proclaiming that you're going to bring about calamity because I know what's going to happen. They're going to turn to you. They're going to repent. They're going to change their ways and say they're sorry. And you're going to have mercy on them and forgive them. And that is absolutely outrageous. I don't want to be any part of it. I'd rather be dead than see this lot set free and pardoned for what they've done wrong. Jonah's hardwired for justice. And for people who are hardwired for justice, it's hard when you don't see a just outcome. And you want one. You really want one for people who have done terrible things to others you want to see a just outcome but mercy triumphs over judgment i know justice and judgment aren't the same word but they have the similar roots our god is more interested in mercy in giving people what they don't deserve rather than what they do he wants us to be merciful Blessed are the merciful, said Jesus, for they will be shown mercy. He wants us to be merciful too. They did deserve justice, but they deserved God's justice and not ours. So interesting. I thought to myself, how did he know that that's why God was sending him? How did he know that was going to happen? And there's three verses that convince me of it. Uh, there are two from Exodus and one from Jeremiah. Exodus thirty-three nineteen. This is when the Lord is passing before Moses. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will, on, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. He's given himself free reign to be merciful and compassionate on whoever he chooses, regardless of whether people like it. Exodus 34, 6 and 7, he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Jonah knew this God. Jeremiah 18, 5 to 8. Then the word of the Lord came to me. There's that phrase. He said, can I not do with you, Israel, as a potter does, declares the Lord, like clay in the hand of the potter? So you are in my hand, Israel. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down and destroyed, and if that nation, I warned, repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. He really knew his God, didn't he? He knew what was coming. He said, I can't believe I'm going to be part of this. He knew of him and he knew him personally. God is so merciful and loving, way more than we are. He's way more merciful than us. I was reminded of the story of Abraham in uh, Genesis 18. The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah is going to happen in the next chapter. And before that takes place, Abraham goes up to God and has a conversation about God relenting and not destroying the city. Do you remember it? Now, commentators have said that it's set up to be a bit like a haggling conversation. I've been to Turkey, been to Egypt. I like a good haggle. In fact, I got money off in Freeport last time I went. You know, I just, can you do anything with that? Knock a bit more off. People sometimes do. It's nice. Um, but, so this, it was set up to be like a haggling conversation. Abraham goes up to God, excuse me, Lord, uh, any chance that if there's just 50 people who are righteous, who are good people, godly people in that city, that you won't destroy it? Perhaps he's expecting God to say, oh, 50, oh, you're, you're stretching me there, how about 200? And you know, they'll they'll meet somewhere, okay, for 125, but no, Abraham comes up, any chance that for 50 people you'll relent, God says, yep, he goes away, Oh. Ooh, uh pardon me lord <laughs> how about 45 god's like yep 45 fine goes away comes back 40 yeah 30 yeah 20 yeah 10 yeah so God, god's just so merciful he's like yep 10's fine and at 10 abraham stops so i'm done now 10's great what would have happened if he said how about just one God just, he wasn't twisting God's arm behind his back. Every time he asked, God just kept saying, yeah, that's fine. That's fine for 10 people. I'm really, I'm much more merciful than you think. Definitely more merciful than many of us are. But Jonah knew. Jonah knew just how merciful he was. And this is pre-Jesus. It's easy for us to think that God became more merciful as a result of Jesus. Because Jesus came and tempered, excuse me for saying this, but tempered his rather angry dad. You you don't want to see the father because he's a bit scary, but have Jesus in front of him and that's okay, then we're all safe. But the father and Jesus, Jesus is the perfect representation of the father. He's not a scary dad, he's a loving dad. This is our merciful dad, even before Jesus came to earth. Do you know that love and do you know that mercy for yourself today? it's available to you regardless of who you are what journey you've been on and what you've done his mercy is there for you today turn to him the lord the lord the compassionate and gracious god slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness and the final thing for a couple of minutes i would like to pull out from today and challenge us with is this that god is the god of all jonah was a hebrew and he was a prophet to his people. And the Lord was the God of the Hebrew people, of the Israel people, of the Israelites. And yet in this moment, his mercy was offered beyond the confines of what Jonah was comfortable with. Beyond the confines of the people who, God, who Jonah thought should be worthy of God's love and mercy. His mercy, his compassion, and his love were offered to those who Jonah didn't like at all and thought were off limits and it reminded me of Peter's vision in Acts 10 when he was told by God in a vision that despite everything that he'd taught and everything that he knew about God being a God for the Jews that the good news of Jesus wasn't just for the Jews but it was for the non-Jews it was for the Gentiles it was for me and for most of you I'm grateful for that vision because that's why we're here today the challenge for us to remember is that no one is off limits. No one is off limits. No one is beyond the love and the mercy of God. And we may just be the person that God uses to be sent to the people that we regard as off limits. That's a challenge, isn't it? Yeah. We can get in our heads, okay, yeah, I realise there's people, maybe people, certain people who've done certain things to others, individuals or whatever. Whatever your reasoning might be that puts somebody just slightly beyond limits, it may be that God nudges you to say they're the ones for you. Go and tell them about my love and my mercy. We have to set it in our hearts that we're okay with God blessing whoever he wants. I will have mercy on who I have mercy, and I will have compassion on who I will have compassion, and I may just send you to do it. So in summary, if you've said no to God, you're not alone, you're not alone. Our God is the God of second chances. Our God is so merciful and loving and we need to know that love and that mercy for ourselves. His arms are open wide today for us to come running back into his arms. And he is the God of all. No one is off limits. And let's be open to be used by him however he wants to use us.